You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Great to have you all this morning. It's great worship. Thanks, girls. That was that was awesome to be able to worship together and to um, and praise our God and that He is a good God. Um, so today, as most of you probably know, we're going to continue in our in our series, the attributes and the character of God. We're doing this series for quite a while now. We've covered quite a few characters and attributes of God. And um, as we as we're seeing through the series, it's hard to separate attributes and characters from God. As quite often, a few of them go hand in hand together. Um, but it's important that we remember that God is each one of these attributes. He's a hundred percent of every single one of them in all ways in all parts. It's God. You can't separate one without the other. God is every part omnipresent. He's every part just. He's every part, um, faithful. He's every part, all the attributes that we've covered. If you remove one because you don't like it, then you're not actually serving the one true God. So the point of this series was so that we can know God better and to be able to serve him in a deeper relationship. So today, um, after those songs this morning, we're actually going to be looking at the goodness of God. Now, we all love things that are good. We love it when um, kids listen to their parents, for example, or when they're on their best behavior, you say, good, what a good boy, what a good girl. What a fantastic job you're doing raising your kids. What good parents you are. Or even when, if you've got a pet like me and Sarah, if it actually listens to your commands, you're actually impressed. You think, oh, what a good boy, what a good girl. There's examples everywhere we look of goodness in the world. The word good can be used to describe just about anything from whether it was a good meal, good bit of chocolate, good bit of fruit, whether it's been a good day, good morning. Um, we, you hear it day in, day out just from good morning. And how are you? We love things that are good because the things that are good encourage us. They lift us up. It's so much better than the opposite of the things that are bad that make us feel down and out. Not when we feel good, we feel like we're, we can walk with our head held high and bounce in our step. There's a famous song written of walking on sunshine. You get that feeling when, when things are going well. But have you ever wondered where those good things come from or even have how bad things, when you look back on them, actually turn out to be good for your life. Something like a trial that you're going through actually turns out to be one of the best things that could have ever happened in your life. We might not see the goodness at the time, but we know our God is good and has created us in his image. And we know that that is good. God in his goodness has created good things for us to enjoy and bring glory to his name. So we have so many things that make us feel good. Just saying that God is good should make us feel good. Am I right? Am I wrong? So I'll leave it at that. Go have a good day. Enjoy it. Feel uh, nice and buzzy. If only we could end there. But there's so much deeper to God's goodness. As God, as good as it would be to say that God is good, we have to dive deeper into how good God is. It's not... He's not only good, but he is the definition of good. He is ultimately, he's the ultimate, perfect, abundant good. Just in case you're counting, I've covered the word good more than 50 times already. So hopefully you're feeling pretty good about yourself this morning. So hopefully you've got that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. But the warm, fuzzy feeling is not the cause of goodness. 
It's an after effect. It's a feeling that makes us feel good about ourselves. It's a feeling from God. He is the source of all good, coming from his perfect goodness. In his goodness, for us, we are blessed. He's blessed us with it. God in himself is abundantly good, and out of his goodness flows the supply of every good thing. We see the source, he is the source of all good things, just as much as he is the supply of all good. But me just saying that is not enough proof that God is good. So, like always, let's jump into the Word. Let's, let's dig into it and see what the Word has to say about God's goodness. So, we don't have to dig too deeply into the Bible to find the first reference of God being good. Like other attributes and characteristics, they take a while to pop up in the Bible. For example, to dive in, for instance, the first explicit reference of God being a just God is read in Genesis 18. But you have to dive a bit deeper for the first explicit mention of God is love, what is in Genesis 27. But the first explicit mention of the goodness of God is right in the start. Just four verses in is the first mention of the goodness. And it says in Genesis 1-4, And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. We see that God creates light and he is good. And he says it is good. This is, not give, this is not God giving himself a congratulation pat on the back because he's made something that has impressed himself, but it's God seeing the light as a reflection of his own goodness that originated from him and is issuing from him. We see early on that the goodness of God and that he is the supply of goodness. And if we keep reading the first book of the Bible, so we're going to read Genesis 1. So if you'd like to turn with me to that, you can. But I'll start reading because we've got a few verses we've got to get through. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. That was the evening and there was the morning of the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate waters from waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heavens and that was the evening and the morning of the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together. And he called the seas, and God saw it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seeds are according to kind on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in, in which the seed, each according to its kind, and God saw it was good. And there was evening and morning in the third day. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. And let them be signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them let the lights in the expanse of heavens give a light upon the earth. It was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and the night and separate the light from darkness. And God saw it was good, and there was evening and there was morning of the fourth day. 
And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moved with which the water swarmed according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply the earth. There was evening in the morning on the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and the beasts of all the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw it was good. Then God said, let's make man in our image. After our likeness, let us let them have dominion over fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in his image God created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every yielding plant seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree that seeds in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast on the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning of the sixth day. So Genesis 1, we, we see a few of God's attributes. For example, we see the power of God by being able to speak creation, and it was done. But we've already covered that in Genesis 1. So today we're, we're concentrating on the goodness of God. And as we read that first chapter, the, the word good pops up on multiple occasions. God created the light and the dark, and he called it good. The sea and the sky, and God called it good. The land and fertile ground, and God called it good. Light, lights in the day and night, and God called it good. Fish and birds, and God called it good. All the land animals and, and, and humans, and God called it good. And right at the end, in verse 31, we see God call all his creation very good. All that God has created was very good, and all the goodness came from very good. God is not just very good, not just a very good God, but he's a per- but is perfectly and abundantly good. God is the origin of all good and the supply of all good. Everything we see in creation that is good gives us an insight into the goodness of our God. So from the first chapter of the Bible, we start to prove the point that God is good. And as we dive deeper into the word, we start to get a bigger picture of his goodness. So Exodus 34, verse 6, in the New King James Version, uh, just a bit of context from this verse. It's where Moses is meeting with God to rewrite the two tablets. And while God is speaking to Moses, he reveals some of his character to Moses. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. God reveals he is merciful and gracious and truth, but he also reveals that he is abundantly good to Moses. In his goodness, in his goodness, he uses he, he is kind and merciful. He, he brings truth to our lives, but not only that, he's abundant in goodness to us. His goodness is more than enough. We know that God is never changing, and that he is the same, and that the God of old is, is the God of new, and the God of new is the God of now. 
who never change. We take courage that God was abundantly good. He was abundantly good back then when you speak to Moses and he is abundantly good now in our lives. And we will always be, and he will always be abundantly good in the future and that will never change. His goodness will never increase or decrease, nor does it waver. So if we go to 1 John 1 to 5, um, this is what it says. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So as you can see, it says that God is light and there is no darkness in him. And you're all be thinking how, what this has to do with his goodness and God's goodness. Well, in Old Testament times, light was a symbol for both knowledge and purity. What John is getting in here is he's writing, his writing flows from the reality that God is a spiritual perfection, morally excellent and utter transcendency, that he is light and there's not a single imperfection or bad side of God. Getting at that, there is no trick to God's goodness. It is abundant to us and it's a free gift from God who loves to pour out good things over our lives. To live, to live in the gift of God's goodness, there is no catch-22. There's no ultimatum. There's no strings attached to his goodness. Um, this might be a bit of a weird reference, but it sort of proves a good point. I bet no one ever thought that the mafia would appear in a preach, but here we go. It's, if it's not like the mafia. So if you're in the mafia, for example, you, you live in their riches, you live in their what they can give you, not saying it's a good thing by any means, um, but if you're in that doing their work and they're happy with you, then they're happy for you to live in the, the riches of what they have. But if you stuff up or, or make a mistake or cross them, then you're no longer under that safety net. You're no longer safe from the mafia. But the goodness of God has no strings like that. If we fall down, if we make mistakes like we often do, if we often sin, God is still good to us. The goodness of God never fails. And God's goodness... As it says in John 1 John, God is light and there is no darkness. There is no catch to the goodness of God. It's free and abundantly good for everyone. And we'll dive into that everyone a bit later on. What brings me, so what brings me back to the abundant goodness of God? And God is infinitely good, free from any shadows. In him there is no darkness at all or will there ever be or ever has been. There is no better version of God to come. There's no progression of good to better, to the best of God. But God is unchanging, as we've already covered. And with that unchanging nature of God, his goodness is always abundant, but abundantly perfect for our needs. And he pours it out onto us to do the will of his plan for our lives through his sovereign, sovereign will. As we've just seen, God's goodness is abundant and unchanging. Since it's unchanging, then it is also enduring. As we read in Psalm 23, we all know this psalm pretty well, that the Lord is my shepherd. But Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely the, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As most of you know, this psalm is about the Lord being my shepherd, as I covered, and how he is leading us through life. In verse 6, surely the goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. His goodness is enduring. It never fails. It doesn't turn on and off. It's not something that fails when God is tired, as we know that God is never tired. As we just covered, it doesn't fail when we fail. God's goodness is enduring, never failing. We are always walking in the goodness of God. 
God is good and will never cease being good as he is the source and the supply of goodness. And through that unchangeable nature of who he is, he will never cease the abundantly and enduring goodness. And as we can see, God's goodness is great. It is also powerful. How great is his goodness of God? It provides for us time and time again. Psalm 31.19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of children and of mankind. God pours out his goodness over all the earth. He does not hold back his goodness. We struggle to get the full picture of the perfect, abundant goodness that is God on the earth. It's another one of his character characteristics that we struggle to get the full grasp of. We get a limited picture of it through creation and through the word. But through that limited picture, we just get an amazing, great definition of the goodness of God. As goodness is more, his goodness is more than enough to fill any amount of any universe. But the picture we do see in the word and, and in creation is how great and abundant the goodness of God is. The picture that is painted through the word and creation around us still, still is enough to blow our minds of how great and how greatly good he is. And yet we won't experience or grasp just how perfectly good he is to heaven. And even then we might not still fathom just how amazing the goodness of God is. As we can see, God is the supplier of all goodness. He is the source in all goodness. He is abundantly Abundantly in good, he is enduring in goodness, he is great in goodness. Out of the goodness, we are saved. Out of his goodness for us, he is merciful on us. Out of his goodness, he is kind to us. And out of the goodness, he has a plan for our lives. God is good all the time. As God's goodness flows from him, every part of God's creation is good. By reflection of his goodness. That means the goodness is everywhere. It's not just reserved for those who believe. But every part of God's creation enjoys the goodness of God. When we see in the word of God that creation is good and that God is good and all creation is good, God doesn't leave his creation after he's created it. That's not the end of it. He continues to be good to everything he has created. So firstly, we'll have a look. He, he's continually good to the animals as well. And the plants, he gives them warmth, light, feeds them. So if we look at Job 38:41, what it says, who provides for the ravens its prey? And when its young ones cry out to, for God for help and wonder about a lack of food. And Matt 6:26 says, look at the birds of the air. They never sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? God shows goodness to all creation. He looks after them. He feeds the animals when no one else will. He does not allow them to be left short. He hasn't just created them for a time and then lets them defend for themselves. He looks after his creation. He's given everything that his creation needs to survive. We see here again that his goodness is enduring as creation wasn't the last thing that God had to do with his creation. But instead, he looks after them. Everyone experiences the goodness of God. It's not just reserved for God's elect, but even the unsaved experience the goodness of God. In every sunrise you see, in every flower that flowers, to every amazing detail in life, we see the goodness of God. God in his sovereignty could have created a dull world, 
but instead he poured out his goodness and created the creation. We have the privilege of witnessing and experiencing the goodness of God. To the glory of God, we see in creation. In God's sovereignty, he chose that all his creation can, can experience his goodness. He's extended his goodness. There is common grace shown between the saved and unsaved, and the goodness of God is one of them. God allows both saved and unsaved people to enjoy the goodness of creation and in other areas of life as well that bring us joy. For example, marriages and kids and, and having success in jobs and life and going on amazing holidays. God allows his common grace for everyone to experience his goodness. It says in Matthew 5, 43 to 45, you have heard that it talks about loving your neighbour, but in here is a key verse as well. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for who persecute you, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. In the middle, it talks about how he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. We all experience the goodness of God and the vision through that goodness. God is so good that it can be challenging for some believers. They sometimes stumble when they see unsaved people succeeding in life. I mean, the next, some people's next-door neighbours might have a great car, the great house, the holiday house down at the beach that I refer to as a beach shack, what is actually bigger than most houses in Turak. Some believers might see this as unsaved. Some believers might see the unsaved being treated better by God than God is treating them. It can be challenging if you don't fully understand who God is and what the goodness looks like in our lives. But like all things, there's a passage in the Bible that will help us overcome this thinking. Some, we're not the first people to think, hang on, they're doing really well in life. What's going on here? So if we go to Psalm 73, so there's two parts to this psalm. We're going to read the first um, lot of verses, so 73, 1 to 15. It says, Truly God is God to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost stumbled, my steps have nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant I, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are flat, uh, fat and sleek. They are, not, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of man, mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers their, them as garments. Their eyes swell out of their, their, through their fatness, and their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue shruts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there a knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are wicked, always at ease and increasing riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean. I wash my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed generations of your children. So the first part of this psalm, we see the psalmist talking about those who are unsaved talks about the prosperity of the wicked and how they've got the beach shack bigger than most houses in Turak. But he talks about how they are always fed and they prosper through life. They live their life at ease and yet they have, have it good. In verse 12, it says that 
they are always at ease and increasing in riches. And at the start of verse 3, the psalmist is envious of them and the way they lived. From the start of this psalm, we can start to see the mindset that we can easily fall into. We see the prosperity of the wicked and we become envious of them. And if we are looking at their situation and comparing with ours from earthly views, we're in trouble. The guy down the road might be blessed. He might have more material possessions than you from an earthly view, but it can be dangerous for us to fall into that trap, believing that God is better to them than us. But we see, see an answer for us to the problem in verse 17 to 28. What says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned the end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them, them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away, by, away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was br- brutish and ignorant. Ah, I was a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll receive me in glory. Whom, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on this earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength and my heart is my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish and put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good for me to be near God. I've made the Lord my refuge and that I may always tell of your works. We see the psalmist here. He is envious of them at the start. But then the key in verse 17 is he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord. He sees the end of the life of those who are wicked and their life of ease goes, to a, goes in a moment to utter terrors. The psalmist sees when he is in the sanctuary of the Lord how the end looks for the wicked. God is good even to non-believers on the earth. But it's a different story for those who don't believe for eternity. Their material possessions are no good if they aren't saved. And what went from envy over them, as we said at the start of that psalm, goes to relief in the Lord when we get to verse 17. But if we go to Psalm 25.8, it says, talking about the non-believers again as well, um, God, uh, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in their ways. In this psalm, it shows the sovereignty of the Lord that even he even instructs sinners in their ways is part of his goodness. He instructs the way they should walk. God, is per, is, God in his perfect, abundant, great goodness blesses the unbelievers with goodness as well. But when we see them, that it is a material possession, something that doesn't have any value to them after death, something that can't save them, they live their lives of sin to get in front and be successful and it's allowed, they experience the goodness. They gain material possession, and from the outside looking in, it looks like they're doing well. But that's looking from a human eye, not God's eye. When we look through God's eyes and, and what he says in the, world, in the world, material possessions mean nothing. They can't save us. They might be fun for a time, but once that time's up, they can't save you. 
going to move on because I'm spending a bit longer on this point than I would have liked. Um, so we see the mindset of the psalmist changes when he enters the sanctuary of the God. His eyes are opened and he sees the goodness of God in his own life. That's the key for us. We need to understand that God's goodness over our lives. We need to live in the fact that God is good no matter what that looks like. When we are saved, we need to understand the goodness of God. Otherwise, we can fall into the trap of being envious of the unsaved and their material possessions. When we are in Christ, we understand that goodness is not measured by material possessions that passes away, but how good, how God uses good in our lives to glorify him. We need to live in the truth for what the Bible says about his goodness God, for those who believe in God. The word of God says he's about those who believe in the goodness of God. As we have covered in other attributes, we know God has a plan for our lives. We know everything will play out. We know the plan is unchanging, that he only has the one plan, the plan A, and that will never change or fail. We can take faith in that. The plan for our, life, the plan for our lives has been planned with goodness of God in our lives. In his goodness, he has planned out our lives. So we all know this as well, but Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We can take courage in that we know we might be facing trials. We know it's, but, but it's the plan of God for our lives. That it will turn out for the good for those who believe in God. We take courage that through, though we might be have might not have a beach shack, um, we have the ultimate possession of Christ. I'm not saying that God won't bless you with material items, because He does, and He uses those items all the time. But just because we don't have these things, don't be discouraged, because you have Christ. We have something far more valuable. God does not withhold any good thing to the righteous. Psalm 37, 23 to 25 says, The steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he falls, he shall not be cast headlong. The Lord upholds his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begged for bread. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For those who believe in the Lord, they lack no good thing. God delights in meeting our needs and encouraging us to ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open, as long as it's according to his sovereign will. Matthew 7, 7 to 11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who receives, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things if you ask him? As believers, God encourages us to ask. He knows how to give us good things. He knows what he needs. He knows how our plan's going to be, and according to his sovereign will, when we ask, he won't leave us um, hanging without the things that we need. As believers, we should seek the will of God for our lives, as it says in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable and perfect. God's will for our lives is good, it's acceptable and it's perfect. It's plan. It's the plan he has put, from, put in plan and put in place from the start. It's a plan that will never change to the end. God's will might not be might not be our perfect will for our lives, what we think it should look like. But as Christians, we, we're told to lay down our lives and take up the plan of Christ for our lives. God's good plan for our lives might involve being persecuted, thrown into jail, or even killed for our faith. Um, and we get evidence that, that this is the Christian walk all through the Bible, as all you have to look is Paul's experience. Not only Paul's, but many more, but... All this stuff is still happening in other countries today. Christians are still being persecuted, thrown into jail, killed for their faith. The word of God, uh, the word of good, the word of God makes a good point that following Christ is on the earth is not easy, as never promised as an easy, cruisy life, but instead a life of persecution and struggle. Well, if I'm honest, if you look at an earthly view, it doesn't sound great. Who wants to chase a life of persecution and struggle? But when you understand what you call to, when you understand the goodness of God, you can praise God through the trials and persecution because you know you're on the right track. When you, when it's done through faith in Christ, it allows us to praise him through trials. As we know, we're working for his name and not ours. Everything done in faith in Christ brings glory to his name and through that the word does not promise material possessions but an everlasting reward in heaven. You might lose all material possessions on earth but if you're living the plan God has called you to, it's for your good and his good. God's goodness over your life might not be our version of goodness but as being believers we need to believe and have faith in God's plan over our lives. As we look back, so many times trials, you might think a trial have actually turned out to be good and you wouldn't change it for the world. You see God's hand working through those situations. God, in his sovereignty over all things, has created a plan for your life and has called you to live that life of goodness. In Ephesians 2.10, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before you created, God has gone before you. He's made good works for you to do. He's to do. It gives you a sense that God's enduring goodness over your life, that He has gone and prepared a way for you, and your life has been played out, uh, planned out in that good plan and good works for you to do. God has created you to do good things through Him. God has called you to live a good life. And when we live that good life that he has called you to, you glorify God and his goodness and how great he is. Not looking at material possessions, but we're bringing glory to the name of Christ our King. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for these things who love God, all things work together for their good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We need to, as believers, take courage in that God is good all the time. Has an amazing plan for our lives. It's full of his goodness. And even through trials, God is working for our good in our lives. And the reason and the reason trials are working for our good and that we can praise him through these trials is answered in the next part of the verse. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among brothers. 
our trials are working for our good, are transforming us to be conformed to Christ. Every trial we face, we are molded to be more like Christ. Every trial we face, we come through and see the goodness of God working in this situation and being glorified. For example, um, most people know how a gold ring is made from a pure gold. It is melted down, it is smoldered, it is heated to an extreme temperature, then it's bashed into shape, it's grinded, it's filed down, it's polished, it's shined, um, it's shined up. To, in the end, it goes through so much, and in the end it makes a beautiful piece of jewellery that will eventually be sold for 20 times its actual value at a jewellery store. But uh, the point is, with every trial that comes, for every trial that comes through, though we serve faithfully, no matter what the outcome is, we can see God's goodness in life. We take courage and praise Him. We know we are being sanctified, become more like Christ. Every time we get heated to the extreme, every time we're bashed into shape, every time we're filed away and polished, we're becoming more and more like Christ, bringing glory to him. So take courage through trials as God is working in your life. And I think I might land it there today. So, so in closing, don't allow anything to steal your joy and the goodness that God has blessed you with. Take the time to see the goodness of God in creation and in your life. Reflect on that as one of the enemy's main tools is to steal all the peace away and make you doubt the goodness of God. Always remember that God is with you and, he's lo- and he loves to pour his goodness over you, over your life according to his sovereign will. With every trial, hold your head up high as God is using it for good and to glorify you and to shape you. With every challenge, we are being sanctified to be more like Christ. Take heart in, God that, take heart in a God that created all things and cold than good. They reflect his goodness. Take heart in that. And throughout the goodness of God, he has created you and your way. God has created you the way you are, and it is good. God is good all the time. He is the supply and the source. He is always there. He's always abundantly good. He never fails. There is no strings attached to his goodness. Take heart in a perfectly abundant goodness of God. No matter what you're going through in life, know that the living God is a good God. So I'll just pray and then I'll, I'll chuck it back to Ian. So, Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. We thank you that, that we can see your goodness, Lord, through creation, Lord, through our lives, Father. We can see the, reflect, the reflection of your goodness, Lord, just everywhere, Lord. And we pray that we'll, we'll take the time, Lord, to reflect in your goodness, Lord, and and that our joy, Lord, would be set in that, Father. Lord, we pray that nothing will rob us, Father, of that, Lord. I pray that no matter what happens, we um, we won't lose lose that thought that you are good, Lord. We won't be envious, Lord, of things that are that don't matter, Lord. But we'll just be fixed on your face, Lord, and what you're doing in our lives, Lord. So we just pray your blessing, Father, Lord, and and help us just to experience your goodness, Lord, each and every day. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.